Hello and welcome to Legally Bilingual. This is Dara and with me is Sasha. <laughs> Today we were hoping to kind of talk a little bit about criminal law and do a review with everyone. I'm sure for those of us who are getting ready for finals, this will probably be very helpful. And then hopefully as we get new listeners, maybe people can find this helpful when they are students and come yeah. back to this. <laughs> Yeah, sure. We're going to use um, the book that we use in class, but most of the the hypos and questions are true or false that we'll use are very general. So anyone studying criminal law can use them. Mm-hmm. It's a very informal review. <laughs> For sure. But, you know, again, before we get started, I feel like we've we've been MIA for a little bit. So, ha- Sasha, yeah. how's, your, <laughs> how's your trimester been? <laughs> Well, for some reason, the past two weeks, like closer to the end, I felt less stressed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have an explanation for that, though. That's just how I felt. <laughs> but because there was a lot of work, but at the same time, I don't know. I just feel I feel like I, I did a little bit better preparing or like going over the material this term than the term like fall term. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad it's, I mean, I'm glad it's over. Like the classes were only, <laughs> we only have two finals and that's it. I know we're so close. I feel, I honestly, I feel the same way. Like, And I think it's because we, at this point, we didn't have any, like we didn't have LMC. So we were not working on brief. And there's a few things we haven't had to do the last two weeks. And it's, we've been able to focus on these two classes versus when we have like, I mean, we've been having like one meeting a week talking about either, you know, ILS or other um, career services events. So I think the last two weeks have been a little calmer in that sense. That's true. I think that has a lot to do with it. Like once we like turned in that brief, we were like, (gasps) okay, now it's just contracts and criminal law. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I think that played a big role into that. Yeah. Let me make a disclosure. My husband is not here yet. (laughs) And one of my daughters is here with me, but he's bringing together. And usually if you hear my dog barking, that means he just got here. (laughs) No worries at all. (laughs) How's your, I mean, your last two weeks been? Kind of same. I feel like the weird part was, you know, it's time to start studying more so it was weird to like study and then also prepare for classes at the same time these last two weeks yeah um but you know i'm just like he's like you said i'm just glad it's over i'm glad i feel like last friday we all got to exhale after our last class um (laughs) so yeah i somehow i still feel like the worst part's done is the term and now it's just a matter of studying hard and being able to apply what we learned it's true. Don't you feel that our contracts professor, like the entire term, he was like telling us how much we need to learn and know if you don't want to flunk uh, contracts. But then the last two times that we met with him, including today, like this morning, he did like a Q&A session. Mm-hmm. But even on Friday, which was our last class, I felt like he was like so relaxed, like oh, you guys are going to do fine. Yeah, like I think so too. I, I'm like, <laughs> are you serious? Like, 
I think so too. I think it it was a matter of, you know, stressing how important the the content was. But then now that, I think he's just assuming that we learned everything, yeah. Throughout the term, so he's like, at, at this point, it's just a test. Who cares about the rest? Like, it's fine. Yeah, it's true. Well, I don't know. I'm like, but there's so much, and he doesn't even tell us like. Sound like I feel like no professor tells us exactly what's coming, but at least like with. Um, our SIP pro professor last term, he at least told us what was not going to be on the exam. And the same with our torts professor. She also said, like, oh, I already tested you on this for the midterm. So, like, unit whatever, unit yeah. X and to unit Y is what you're going to be tested on for the final. But now it's kind of like, we don't know anything. It's like anything we learned. <laughs> yeah, I think also this is the very first time, like, very first time that the final is a hundred percent of our grade. Every other class we've had, even with um, civil procedure, where we had, we only technically had the test, but we still had that um, the click and learn assignments to do. Yeah. yeah. So I this is the first time that we're all just kind of like this. This exam is our one shot to know if we got it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I, I want to. I think it was funny because we were studying on Saturday for contracts. And, like, I said, like, I hope it's, like, easy. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't mean that. I mean, like, maybe it's, like, the basis of contracts. Like, he might, yeah. he might go into a specific rule or a specific term, maybe statute of frauds or parole evidence rule or third party. But, like, I don't think he's going to get to into things that I mean where like the cases contradicted each other yeah no I think so too I think like I keep telling you you know I think <clears throat> first I, I I keep saying this class was our first experience with like the very traditional stereotypical law class with like I don't know full-on Socratic method mm -hmm. full-on the final is everything but I really do think that because of that, we learned so much more throughout the term that we realized. I still think that even if there are certain things that we don't, we forget to remember, like forget to go over by the final or something along those lines. Yeah, I'm sure we could still see the test and say, "Oh, I remember this." Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. We'll see. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we're gonna have more time to study for that when we're done with criminal law which is our first final yes. this thursday ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay oh. yeah we can get started talking about criminal law now um yeah. i don't even know what, i mean that's that's all i have to say about that class you know we have that final on thursday and we can just study for it at this point yeah. <laughs> but i feel like at least criminal is very straightforward like like every single rule or every case you you have like what like you can put it under something under some topic or element or you can like fix everything and put it where it belongs <laughs> versus uh contracts he's just like oh just use the table of contents from the book right <laughs> yeah no that's true it's it's definitely very structured so i guess that's another disclaimer to to say is that our professor not only i mean i feel in general criminal law is, it has to be more structured just 
if you're going to be prosecuting people over it. But also our professor has found like his own language for certain things. Not that it's made up. He's just, um, I mean, for example, like our book was written by our professor. Mm -hmm. So not all the time, like any bar prep supplements we're using don't necessarily align with the book and the course, but it's still very much saying the same thing just different verbiage around Mm -hmm. it and that's true because when i started practicing like using supplements i realized that it's very elemental everything has elements and it's just Mm -hmm. the language but when you see different language you still know what it means what they're trying to say so i think this class is like this course the way it was taught actually will help us for the bar I think so too, but that's what I'm saying. Like for anyone listening, that maybe they don't understand, they don't know exactly word by word what we're saying. It's most of it is it's still the same <clears throat> premise and it's still the same elements and and all of that. Yeah. All right. So before we start, I think this was this is like a very basic definition we have in class. So what is the definition of what is a crime? Yeah. Do you want me to define it or? Are you gonna? If you want to, sure. Well, the most basic (laughs) definition for what is a crime is: a crime is a morally blameworthy conduct or behavior against society. And that I think with that, we can kind of talk a little bit about why is criminal law different than than civil law. So, like our torts class last term, and yeah, I mean, I think we can just start there if we can just each take turns and give a different sure yeah i have several here since he talked a bit about this in the entire class Mm -hmm. so go ahead oh okay i'm starting yes (laughs) (laughs) okay so um one one of the differences is that criminal law kind of focuses more about the punishment for that said behavior that you just explained but civil law is more about who should bear the monetary cost or loss of the action, not necessarily punishing someone for just making them financially responsible for it. Very true. Yeah, tort law is generally aimed at compensation. It's one of the notes I have. Mm-hmm. So usually in, in torts, there's always a, it, someone's looking to be compensated for whatever wrong was done to the person claiming, bringing the claim. And um, it's also private law. So criminal law is public versus uh, tort law, mm-hmm. civil law is um, a private law. Yeah, and so that's that's kind of the difference between, so public law would be against society versus private law. It's, it's between those two parties or pe- the people that are involved in that event or act or whatever yeah he also mentioned that um criminal law has a higher burden of of persuasion and proof Mm -hmm. so and in civil law it's just like based on the preponderance of the evidence versus in criminal law it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt Mm -hmm. yeah so that's the burden Mm -hmm. of proof for both now so there is a difference between what's called the burden of production and then the burden of persuasion. So production would be basically in criminal law to be able to move forward. So that's what's presenting to the judge to be able to 
keep going with with the charges against the individual, and then the burden of persuasion is presented to the jury for a resolution. So, and that's the one that's that, like you said, that changes. Of um, the jury must know beyond a reasonable doubt or the preponderance of the evidence, which would be what a judge looks at in a civil case. Yes, and there are four sources of criminal law. Do you want to mention them, Dar? Oh my goodness, <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, um, it's the common law, number one. Uh, second is statutes. The legislature? Okay, statutes. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> uh, administrative regulations, and then the Constitution. So there's four sources of the criminal law. Common law, mm-hmm. statutes, administrative regulations, and the Constitution. Yep, yep. That's something I should write down. <laughs> yeah, I know what you were saying, though. Um, the legislature makes the law, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the difference of, like, the legislature... Um, like literally making it and then the prosecutors and the judge and the police enforce Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And the next thing is the constitutional limits. I think our professor wants us to know a lot about this because he talked about the big house of, where is it? (laughs) Due process. Due process. Um, And, I don't have this written down, but I will listen. <laughs> yes, the big houses due process. Um, those are mostly the constitutional limits in criminal law. And um, what the first one is the incorporation doctrine, which is uh, the fundamental to liberty and justice. And I don't know if you remember the Duncan case, but that's one of the cases mm-hmm. that talks about this incorporation doctrine and it also talks about the procedural due process which is trial by jury that should be guaranteed under the 14th amendment i don't know this by memory i want you to know that i'm reading but (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. Um, i'm just trying to like refresh my my own memory just this was so early in this in the term that I'm just like oh oh my goodness yeah. and I've been reviewing what this happened is, after. Yeah. This is where yeah, our, the see. first cases started. Like our first cases were just uh, under the due process, um, the big house of due process, and it has five doctrines. And I mentioned the incorporation and procedural due process one, and those both are mm-hmm. mentioned in a case. Um, I think it's People versus Duncan. Yeah, so I just pulled it up. I pulled up my brief for that, and I see what happened. So basically, quick, very quick summary. He was appealing because he he was sentenced without a a trial with a jury, and so he's he's saying that that violated his Fourteenth mm-hmm. Amendment right because it that denies the state the power to deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And then with that, the due process of law part would be that they violated here would have been the right to cancel to a speedy and public trial. Yeah. And confrontation of witnesses and to compulsory process of obtaining witnesses. So basically, because they, they did the whole trial without a jury and kind of rushed through that, 
then he was able to appeal that sentence. Yes, that's the case. And that's for incorporation and procedural due process doctrines. Then the third one is substantive due process. That one was for Lawrence, the Lawrence case, which was, um, he was just, um, uh, I think he was having intercourse with another man in a public setting. And they kind of wanted to charge him with having intercourse with uh, another person of his same sex. And for that charge specifically, the um, the court said that it would be a violation of his constitutional right for privacy, um, including. Yeah, and I think it was it wasn't in a public setting. I think they were just trying to prosecute that in like in his own home or or not. I don't remember exactly, but I think I think the facts said that he was actually in like like a a police officers found them somewhere in public which they don't talk much about the charges of whatever the charges for having um, intercourse in public, but they did say that for the charge of having intercourse with another man um, wasn't, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to look it up. Yeah. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why I didn't like, I just don't remember talking about it being like charged because it was in public. Yeah. It it just, the, yeah. Because yeah, the of case the case only talks about that mm-hmm. charge. I think a lot of cases, um, even though the, the defendants were charged with other stuff. Sometimes they only talk about one of the charges. Yeah. Yeah, but I see what you mean. I mean, yeah, that yeah. one is a substantive <laughs> um, doctrine. And then the last two would be basic due process, which they mentioned the Keeler case where uh, the fetus was not included in the language of the statute for that included the fetus wasn't included as a human and the statute only mentioned mm-hmm. murder for taking a human life. Um, And then the last one would be void for vagueness would be Papa Crystal and Levy. And it says that reasonable people must necessarily guess as to the meaning of law. If that happens, then the law is void for vagueness. Mm -hmm. Here, let me try to find, because I remember. Which one, Papa Crystal? I mean, yeah. See, see, this is bilingual. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was a, a, oh gosh, vagrancy ordinance. So it it was just a very, very vague law about not being able to Mm -hmm. be outside, period. And like at night, and it was just like, okay, well, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? He gave an example. of how some laws, maybe some states, you know, enact some laws that say, oh, um, like the the example he gave us in class that uh, it, it's unlawful to drive around with um, loud music. Wait, pause. I got a call, so I don't know if that was recording for a second. Oh, so okay. I mean, we're still on the call, but it it I stopped hearing you. So just in case, you were saying, okay. for example. <laughs> Yes, he gave. Um, okay, déjame hacer una pausa para evitar esa parte un poquito. Okay. So our professor gave us an example of void for vagueness would be a, uh, the state enacting a law that says in North Carolina it is unlawful to drive around with loud music. Mm-hmm. So that law would be considered void for vagueness because what is loud? Right. So it's not very specific. And if people need to guess the meaning of it, 
then it can be considered void for vagueness. And then the, the other thing that it includes is that people need to have fair notice and warning. Mm-hmm. Which is a part of, yep. Yeah, yes, being specific, yes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those, those are the five doctrines of the big house of due process. How much fun. <laughs> <laughs> There's other things that we, we are not going to go over because it's a lot, but it, it all of that includes the expo facto laws, the bills of attainer, um, equal protection and all that. All that fun stuff. Yep. <laughs> but now going to the big picture of crime, what are the elements of a crime? Yeah, I do have those. So it is an act and I do like how he writes this out like almost it's an equation I think it helps me at least so it's an act plus result plus mental state equals crime minus defense yes that's our board (laughs) yeah we saw that almost in every class that's our board um so the act which is one of the um, elements of a crime or components of a crime it has to be a voluntary act and there must be a mind and body connection mm-hmm. and, and it also includes the flip side of that of not acting when you did have a legal duty to act um, so for example if you're like babysitting for a child and then yes you're not the parent but you're legally responsible for that child so you have to care for them. You can't just say you're babysitting and then leaving the child in the house and you going away because now, now that person was the one that had the duty to act. Yes. So an act can also be an omission is what um, he said mm-hmm. and what Dara right. is explaining. So, for example, in uh, an example can be like not filing your taxes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So your, your, your act would be not doing your legal duty (laughs) that's an example of that yeah and then do you want to do mental state or results first well we can do mental i can do mental state um if you want (laughs) sure So, so when we talk about mental state there's four different types of of mental state and he does give us this which I find very helpful. He calls it the mens rea mountain. And so it at the bottom, you would start with negligence, which would kind of be the easier to prove of the mental state because it's just disregarding the risk. It's not, it doesn't even have to be conscious. You just, yeah, disregard a substantial and unjustifiable risk. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to mention that that would be since he started with negligence. That one would be like if 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 the state has a statute that does not mention the specific state of mind of um of the crime, then it would be automatically assumed that it was negligence. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's the one that's kind of. Yep, that's yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so from that one level up would be reckless and that's when you do know the risk and you still disregard it um 
And then one step up from that would be knowledge. And then that's more like when you're aware that that this result's certain to occur. So when you do know that it will probably happen. And then lastly, or, you know, like the first one at the top would be purpose. And that's when you're, I feel like that one's more straightforward. You know, you're purposely doing something. You desire that result from your actions to happen. Yeah. And then I have a question for, because uh, you know how each of, there's like, well, we just mentioned there's four types of mens rea, purpose, knowledge, reckless, and negligence. Well, each uh-huh. of these have an intent. So if I want to ask, like, what intent was for this crime or you know, how do I define that? Like, I know that specific intent would only be in purpose or knowledge. And mm-hmm. then malice would be purpose, knowledge, and recklessness. And then general would include all of them. Mm-hmm. But how do you, how do I, I don't know, put them under certain category? Like, what is that? Is that the intent of the crime? If someone asked me, like, so what, what was the intent? Then I say, oh, specific intent or malice? Or general? So you would, it goes the other way. You would look at the crime or the charge. So, for example, battery. Battery is the unlawful, unlawful offensive touching, harmful touching of another. So that one is very much a negligence standard. So you look at the definition first. Here, you see here, it's not about purposeful, it's not about knowledge, it's just touching someone else in an offensive or harmful way. And that's where you would see, well, battery is a, the, the standard would be, or would be a general intent crime. Because it would be under negligence. Four, right, like it's automatic negligence. It would be any of the four. In this case, blah, blah, blah happened. And so even, even though they didn't mean to do it, they still disregarded the risk. And then they definitely like, hit the person or whatever or accidentally you know like you know what I mean so it's you would just go by the definition and then explain why in that hypo Mm -hmm. they met that specific mental state okay okay so if I so it makes sense so if I go to murder and the definition of murder would be the unlawful killing of another person with malice afterthought then since the word malice is in there, I automatically assume that it could be either purpose, knowledge, or recklessness. Exactly. Yeah. That, and that's where you would look at the facts to see which one of those three it was. Great. That's great. Very helpful. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> because I did have them. Like, I have my nose. I have my outline. I know where to, um, I guess, allocate each crime and under what Mm -hmm. but at the same time I couldn't explain like how do I determine the intent does that make sense but I guess yeah I just have to look at the language of the crime itself yeah and so we have the definitions for each mental state so it's really a matter of like did their so like did their action of speeding was it was it reckless how much were they speeding were they even looking at the road like you kind of take everything yeah into account for that okay (laughs) the good thing is that he gave us some of the where to allocate some of the crimes already 
Oh, yeah. No, I think it's... I think this class is so, so structured <laughs> that I feel better about it. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. So, what else are we missing for mens rea? Okay, so... um. We did mention the types of uh, mental state, but I have here some like um, notes that it's generally what indicates whether the actor has behaved in a morally blameworthy manner. Mm -hmm. So most of the time, um, we don't necessarily have to look at the act itself, but to like really charge a person, um, they look more at the mental state. Which would be well, what determines the culpability. You, I mean, you need all three, but yeah, I think that's when it talks about that being the moral blameworthiness <laughs> part. It's more like just how culpable were they? Like, did they actively intend for this punch to kill this person, or did they just intend to hit them a little bit? Yeah, I don't. It's like it's still clearly it's still going to be an issue, but I think it does change. That's a horrible example now that I think about it. But you know what I'm trying to say. I think <laughs> yeah, what, the, yeah, the intent would be what makes it really, really bad. Like if you purposely killed this person, that would be an issue. Yeah, what I, I guess what I meant is like mostly the, the issue is in like proving the mental state or denying the mental state yeah. as a defense. Because the only, yeah. the only other case I remember the issue was not mental state, it was the causation was Kibby, where um well, well we can talk about it when we go to but um yeah the issue well, is mental state. go ahead and jump sorry what no <laughs> that most of the time the issue is um but sometimes it can be yeah he, well our we only discuss when that's the issue right exactly but we can go ahead and jump into that since I think that's a, that's, a, that's an awesome segue into the third element of of yeah. what you need for a crime would be result or causation. Yes. So the first one would be the actual cause or legal causation, which is the but for the act that would not have happened. I guess that's the mm -hmm. the. <laughs> He didn't really give us a definition, but the, it's exactly what it says, the actual the crime. And then... Yeah, I have that as in fact. Yeah. Like, it did in fact cause them to die. That kind of stuff. <laughs> yes. But the issue comes when, like, you have... To, if it wasn't the actual cause, then it would be the sufficiently direct cause. And that, that's when you have to do the two steps where um, find the substantial factor. No, so so causation is a two-step test. So it, you need both. You need it to be an in-fact or actual cause and also a sufficient direct cause. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cause. What I meant, yeah, that's true. Or, and under sufficient direct cause, then you have the substantial factor, which then you have to explain why it was reasonably foreseeable mm -hmm. so I guess I only like the only way I can explain this is with the Kibi case where um they kind of um, robbed him kidnapped him and then just like threw him out <laughs> of the car 
Right. <clears throat> and then since the person was drunk, another person eventually killed him. So mm-hmm. even though like the defendant was saying that, well, I did not kill him. They said, but it w- if it wasn't because of what you did in the first place, that other driver would not have killed him in the road. Yeah. And that's that's where it meets both. You know, it even though he didn't, in fact, kill him, but for his actions, he wouldn't have died. And then also his actions of because I think he even like they even got his glasses. And so taking all of that away from him and just leaving him on the road was also a sufficient direct cause of his death. Yep. I have a note here, and I don't know if it's just that I wrote something wrong, <laughs> but I have a note that says gross, gross negligent makes it unforeseeable and cuts the chain of causation. Yes. So, for example, well, let's pretend he wasn't drunk and he could sleep because just to make things a little easier. But, for example, in that case, if the reason he died was because a drunk driver just completely went off the road and then killed him. That would have been a, like so much, like so much worse. Or like I, I don't even know if that would be a good gross negligence example. Okay, let's backtrack. <laughs> well, you know, but you know what I mean. Like if it was if someone else's negligence, like gross, gross negligence, not just like. They were speeding a little bit. It would have to be like they were just very like drunk and driving the worst case situation. And then that would have cost that. Then that person's the one responsible, not the person that left them on the side of the road. Makes sense. I get it. I think that's what I'm trying to say. uh, An example I saw earlier today that might be a little easier to follow is just um, because a lot of these cases, they try to. So for people that. They, maybe they die on the way to the hospital or they die at the hospital. They try to say like, oh, well, it was the hospital's fault or whatever. The only way it would it would actually be the hospital's fault would be gross negligence. So like if the if the doctor was drunk and then the drunk doctor was performing surgery, then that would be the doctor's fault. Yeah, so I remember that. So not like regular negligence for the doctors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like a little bit of negligence, just like very bad <laughs> negligence. Yeah. Okay. Next notes that I have here are about, I think it's under mens rea, even though we already talked about it, about the positive knowledge and willful blindness. Mm-hmm. Does that go under defense or is that just a way to prove mens rea or to not prove mens rea? That's still, but I mean, the premise is you can't necessarily use that to just negate mens rea. So like, you can't just say, oh, I, I didn't look in the back, so I didn't know that there were drugs in it, even though you knew that there were drugs in it, but you just didn't look at it. That wouldn't, that wouldn't work. It would just be more like, like an argument that you could try to make, but it's not really a defense either. Is yeah. It? A willful blindness. Yeah, I remember the case. And then I have notes here that a defendant can actually use the no positive knowledge. So they honestly, so I guess, yeah, the facts would either have to say that, that he honestly and like in good faith didn't know, then they can use Mm -hmm. that as a defense and say that um, 
the law does not apply because there's not enough evidence to support the instruction. Yeah, that would be like a way to to show that there was no mental state. Like that that part's not met. Yeah. All right, guys. So that's kind of like an overview of the main sense of a crime. We're not going to get into the crimes itself or the defenses, but that was like a general review of what a crime is and criminal law. Yeah, exactly. There's of course there's still a lot more to it and. Um, that was without definitions of crimes, without any, you know, just what you said, you know, without going to the defenses. It's just these are the three elements, and that's already a lot. <laughs> so we can stop there. Yes. But thanks for listening. Um, I don't know if you might want to do another one for like contracts, maybe, but a shorter one. Yeah, we totally can. Yeah, 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 we totally can. I think, I mean, it's going to have to be shorter because we have way less sentences and information, but that's <laughs> fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we can totally do one for contracts, and hopefully if people like these, we can do one every term. It definitely helps us, I think, to just talk about it out loud. So. Very true. But yeah. I hope it helped at least someone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time. Or yep, thank you. talk to Bye-bye. you next time. <laughs> 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 Bye. Bye.